welcome back to Getting to the Top, where I interview transformational leaders about their leadership journey in hopes of inspiring you on your leadership journey. I'm really, really quite excited today to have with me Dr. Stacy Richards-Kennedy, and I have known Stacy since I was a little girl. So this is quite an honor for me because she's done such incredible things in her career. In November of 2022, uh, CAF, the Development Bank of Latin America and the Caribbean officially launched its regional management office for the Caribbean located in Port of Spain, Trinidad, and is now headed by none other than Dr. Stacey Richards-Kennedy. She's the regional manager for the Caribbean. CAF has a $30 billion portfolio of projects across Latin America and the Caribbean. And Dr. Kennedy is leading CAF's efforts to provide increased development financing to governments and private sector clients across the region. She has over 25 years experience in multilateral negotiations, development management, and international finance. Her experience includes forging strategic partnerships, leading multidisciplinary teams, and marshalling resources for the successful execution of projects in Europe, Africa, Asia, the Pacific, Latin America, and the Caribbean. She was prior to this the, the uh, Pro Vice Chancellor for Global Affairs at UWE, and which is, as we all know, is a phenomenal university ranked among the top 1.5 of universities globally. She speaks multiple languages and she's done everything imaginable. She's lived in Paris. She's had a, a marvelous career. And while I don't typically like to focus on this, she's done all of that while being a phenomenal mother. And I think she's evidence that you can have an amazing career and you can have a family and it's never easy making all of the parts move and manage, but if you are willing to pull it all together, you can have the most phenomenal career. And so I welcome Dr. Stacy Richards-Kennedy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Raquel. It's an honor and a privilege to be here and to be one of your chosen uh, speakers. And, um, you know, I, I've seen the amazing work you've been doing and all of the other interviews with, you know, really phenomenal women. And I really am looking forward to having this conversation with you and sharing a bit of my experience with your followers. Fantastic. All right. So let's get started. We met each other at Bishop Anstey High School. So when you were at Bishop Anstey High School, what did you think you were going to do? What did you think you were going to become? Wow. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I had any idea at that, at that point what I wanted to become. I was more focused on doing well at school, to be honest, and, you know, giving it my best and you know, as I transitioned through the lower school into, you know, what we call the upper high school years, form four and five, I had this interesting mix of interests. So I was part languages, you know, I loved French and Spanish, and I also loved the sciences. I did physics and chemistry. And then when I transitioned to what we called A-levels back then, so 17, you know, 16, 17, 18 years of age, I focused my studies on French, Spanish, and uh, mathematics, which was an uncanny combination mm -hmm. for those years, but uh, I did what I loved, and, and I've always done that, and I think, you know, as I progressed through to university, I continue to follow um, what I was good at, what what made me happy, and um, and my passion, and then 
you know, from there, had to make some really hard choices in terms of how to make a career or how to start preparing my pathway for my career. Yeah. So you graduate from college with this eclectic mix of languages and sciences, which is a, a bit of an unusual mashup, right? Typically people are like, okay, I'm I'm all arts or I'm all sciences. And when did you discover that this interest of yours from, from these two unique areas was actually a superpower? When did you discover that? Were you just, was there ever a point where you were like, what am I doing? Or <laughs> wait a minute, this is quite interesting because there are very few people with my skill set coming yeah. out of coming out of college. To be honest, I think on some days it was what am I doing? And on other days it was, okay, this this is unique, this is interesting, and yeah, I'm gonna make this work for me. And I think by staying the course and certainly um, trying to to have faith that it's all going to work out and it will all lead to something positive and beneficial. It you know I just continue to focus on doing my best and you know that I think is the most important lesson. Uh, my parents instilled that in me from very early. Always do your best, no matter what you decide to do in life. Be the best you can be at that. Yeah. So I took that advice to heart and always push forward, trying to get the best grades and to expose myself by reading as widely as possible and seizing opportunities that came across my path to deepen my knowledge or to gain exposure. So my university experience was critical. I went into the undergraduate degree program at uh, St. Augustine, University of the West Indies, St. Augustine campus. I focused, uh, I did my major in foreign languages, um, but also chose other subjects as electives so that I could keep, you know, broadening my, my knowledge base and my foundation. And then I graduated um, with my degree in foreign languages and not quite sure what I was going to do next. Many persons at the time would ask me and say, you know, what are you going to do with a degree in languages in Trinidad and Tobago? And that was always a difficult question back then because um, of the focus on traditional careers. Many yeah. persons were graduating and uh, with degrees in engineering or in banking, you know, and finance, or economics, uh, persons wanted to be lawyers and doctors. And so coming out with a degree in foreign languages really made you dig deep and wonder, <laughs> okay, what does this mean? Now, many colleagues or many classmates at the time decided to pursue, um, you know, they wanted to teach, uh, they mm -hmm. wanted to be translators. And so, you know, I spoke to as many persons that I could who had done the same degree programs that I did. And then I decided to go into postgraduate um, international relations because I thought that was a good fit for me. It helped me to broaden my knowledge base even more and to go more deeply into different disciplines. So it was um, at the same exciting, but at the same time, a little bit scary because I'm doing now international trade and diplomacy and um, you know international law, foreign policy. And, and coming from a background uh, where you, you've mainly focused on sciences and, and languages meant that there was a lot of catching up to do because this mm. is at the postgraduate level. And so there's an expectation that you already have covered some of these concepts, but nothing like a good challenge. And so mm -hmm. took that took that on. And, um, and from there, really, I think that was the 
the that point of inflection where you get an opportunity now to go along a different path mm -hmm. as a language uh, student. And so that really helped me to start considering other options once I graduated from that program. Uh, and that's what led me to international development. Oh, that's phenomenal. So, and lots of really great nuggets there in that you were always sort of open, you followed the things that you were naturally good at and the things that you loved, always do your best. I think that's that's sage advice, no matter what. It's, it, you know, mm -hmm. certainly from the Four Agreements, one of my favorite books, I was actually talking to a girlfriend about Four Agreements yesterday and said, you know, always do your best. Such great advice because it's never going to steer you wrong. I and love I the... Go Can ahead, ask, yes. Uh, Raquel, there was one moment that I think is really helpful for, for students and, and perhaps young professionals because I entered university, originally signed up to do computer science. At the time, computers were really taking off. You know, everybody thought, okay, this is the future. You really, if you want to do something with your life, you need to go study computer science. So I had the science background and I said, yes, okay, going to do computer science. Went in and it was not the right fit for me did not mm. like it, was not performing well, did not, you know, got grades that I had never gotten before in my <laughs> life, was not comfortable seeing those grades and had to, had again to think quickly and decide, you right. know, is this for me? And, um, and then be brave enough to make that decision, to have that difficult conversation with my parents and, you know, say, look, I signed up for this, but I'm not sure this is for me. And I think, and we have a deadline and I, I need to make a decision now to switch faculties and to go back to what I love and what I'm mm -hmm. good at, even though I don't know what the future is with that degree, <laughs> but I'm going to make the most of it. And I think um, so many, so many young people perhaps think that I have to be this, or I have to be that. And they stick with a line of study that perhaps may not be bringing out the best in them. And so I think that experience is one that's worth, worth sharing because um, sometimes it does take a few knocks or a few failures or a few bad grades to push you in the direction that you need to go in. So you say, okay, this may not, this is not working for me. Let me find something that's really true to my skills, my abilities, my passion, and then run with that. That's such good advice. So, and so what were your parents saying at this point when you're like, listen, you know, this thing that's taking off that everybody says is, you know, going to take over the world. Um, I have been getting spectacular grades all through everything before, and now it, it doesn't work. And you've demonstrated a willingness to take chances and to challenge yourself, but you had an instinct about this, that this was not a good fit. So what was their response to that? Like good Caribbean parents, they supported me. I think nice. maybe deep down they had their own anxieties, but they didn't show it. They said, if this is what you want, you do it. Do it to the best of your ability and everything else will, will work itself out. So my father and my mother have always been that steady force behind me throughout my education, throughout life. And they continue to be that force and that rock and, and, and foundation, my anchor. And so, so it was tough. It was difficult having to go back to them and say, I'm not sure this is for me because, you know, it, it was, it, they, as Caribbean parents, they pour everything into you. They yeah. give you as much as they can. And they, they teach you that your education is your passport to your future. And it was very much so. But I had to, I had to do it with the 
things that were my natural abilities and that yeah. would allow me to do it to to excel and not to to do a mediocre job just because I wanted to say I had a degree in computer science. Wow. No, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And I loved the part about you talking to people in the industry, you know, translators and, you know, teachers and people who had your same degree and what were they doing with it and deciding, you know what, here's what's going to work for me. And then mm -hmm. taking that leap into international relations, realizing that there would be quite a bit of catch up because on the, the, the negotiations, the legal side, all of those components Huge. would be things that you wouldn't have covered in, mm -hmm. in your undergrad. So now you're Absolutely. having to get into, you are swimming from yeah. a boat when everybody started a while ago All from right. the shore. You're so right, Raquel. That was the hardest, hardest program for me, to be honest, because of that jump that I had to make and because of the breadth of it and the depth of it. So it wasn't just one area. It was like, you know, 12 new areas that I needed to show that I'm able to master in less than a year. And so that in terms of, I've never studied harder than that year, I really plunged myself into every single subject area. But, but you know, because it was something that was new and interesting, I loved it. So okay. my parents saw me working around the clock, always spending a lot of time in the library, being dropped off very early, picked up very late. But pouring myself into this new area that really, you know, helped me to to learn so much and to learn more, much more about myself and my ability and my uh, my new ambitions that were emerging from the new areas of study. And uh, so it's a program that I recommend to to a lot of students of languages who are thinking about what to do next, because it exposes you to such a range of disciplines, you could go off into many different directions. And it's just the other point that I wanted to, you know, I always emphasize to students who, who love languages or who have a, you know, a natural ability for foreign languages, is that you do need to combine it with something. So you have to, you know, you see it as a tool, not as, unless you want to, to specialize in translation, interpretation, and so on, it becomes a tool for whatever else you can do. So whether it's law or medicine or, you know, physics or anything, you know, biodiversity, do what you love, but always try to have, um, to develop um, a foreign language with it, because that will be your passport to doing your work at a regional level, at an international level, to communicating with, you know, even persons when you when you travel for tourism purposes, just to see the world from a different perspective. And, and that language is, um, it's a gift in that it allows you to understand different cultures, different, um, you get music, you get exposed to different music and different poetry. And, and so the history and culture of different peoples from different countries become part of who you are. And, and that that is a bridge to deepening your understanding, deepening your uh, intercultural uh, skills and abilities, and to opening a different worldview for, for students. I love that. I love that. I've, I was never really great at languages. I'm still struggling to develop a, a second fluency, but that inspired me to to try harder because I think it it is it is such a great tool in bridging different gaps and 
again, mm -hmm. making you stand out as a candidate because yes, you know, yes, you're great at biology and you can, you can do this thing or yes, you're a doctor, but you're a multilingual doctor. You're a, a multilingual, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And that is such a great way. And it, I think it also helps a lot in understanding your own home language because languages are so interconnected. Absolutely. You can you can hear a word and you're like, well, wait a minute, it sounds just like that in English. It's really similar. Or they're okay. the same word. Or, or I can deconstruct that and understand something else even more deeply because yes. of this, this language skill. I also believe that um, cognitively it allows us to be very flexible and very uh, easy to adapt to change. Because as a, someone who can see an object and view it from three different language points. So you, the same item, you can actually think of it in three ways with three words in three different languages. And so your brain starts being trained to mm. think and to adapt and to switch very quickly. And we do it naturally in the Caribbean between um, the dialects that we speak and standard English. So we already have that capacity to switch and to say things in different ways whether it's in Jamaican Patois or in Trinidad and Tobago dialect or any other country. Um, but when you do it from Spanish or French or Portuguese or Italian, it, it's another layer. And so it really is like exercising your brain all the time. And that's why they always encourage language learning um, for young children, because it helps them for, with other things later on. So I think there's so many benefits and even the, the cultural understanding other people's culture and then not taking for granted that everyone is going to speak English to us all the time. There's yeah. so many other persons when we, you know, go to meetings and so on, you hear Latin Americans doing presentations in English and they yeah. try and they make mistakes. So Asian, you know, Asian students and they make mistakes, but they move forward. And so yeah. it's part of that, um, you know, being humble enough to know that, listen, we can do that too. We yeah. need to make the effort to speak another person's language, even if we're not doing it fluently or perfectly, but to show that level of respect and intercultural willingness to, to meet you halfway. And to I think those are all important skills for the current generation as our region prepares itself to be more globally connected. You know, as you say, the current generation, when you said you spent hours in the library, I wanted to define library for the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the physical library back then. It was yeah. like Actually, a building. There was a building with books. That was what, that's what that was, where you went to study things. You did not just Google everything. Not at the click. No, not, not oh, at no. your fingertips. You had to actually go there and find the books and sit. And, you know, even to today, I still love that. I still love having the actual book in my hand. I do a lot of things online of course but but the books that I love and that I treasure I want the physical copy yeah that could, that's know. so crazy it's like you were a party to the conversation I had yesterday I sent a girlfriend of mine my so she was telling me about four agreements and she said you know it changed her life and I was saying to her I love that book I said it's number four on my list of favorite books and then I looked at the list and it's actually like six or seven but um she was like oh my gosh are these all are these all physical books? And I was like, no, I don't have space for all of these physical books. But the top 20 are all physical books because I love them so much. Exactly. And I'm not one to reread a book, but I want to have the book 
Um, and, and a lot of times I give them away as gifts. Huh? So if it's, if, you know, if I have a conversation with you and, and we talk about a book that really inspired me, I'm like, oh, I have a copy. Let me give it to you. But apart from that, like I listen to a lot of audio books when I'm doing something that I don't need to actively think about doing. Right. Um, but but yeah, I think, you know, and you mentioned that you were an avid reader, but I did want to sort of uh, for those uh, young women listening who are <laughs> <laughs> like a library. Yes, yes. <laughs> That is that but libraries is are great. I mean, they're so and bookstores as well, you know. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm one of those persons when I go into a book or beautiful library where everything is there, I just want to stay. If I could just have my bed and you know, <laughs> you know, supply of whatever I need to eat and drink, and I'm good there for, for a while. So yeah. I, I'm there with you. I love like the, the smell of new books. Mm, yeah. All right. So, so you're graduating with this international relations degree. And so what's the first job that you go into? Right. Um, so my first real job was at the tourism and industrial development company for Trinidad and Tobago, which was um, focused on promoting uh, trade and tourism investment for the country. And um, it was an exciting place to be uh, because you know, it, it exposed me to so many different opportunities. I had an amazing and supportive manager who became a mentor and friend over the years and with whom I'm still in touch today. And it was during that, uh, towards the end of my first year there at TITCO, that I heard of an opportunity to compete for the Young Professionals Program at UNESCO's headquarters in Paris. And uh, because of the focus of this specialized agency within the United Nations family, focusing on education, science, and culture, I it connected with me immediately. And I found it very interesting, so I decided to apply. And it was a, a lengthy process uh, over, you know, I think close to a year wow. where, you know, you have to submit several applications and essays and do tests and panel interviews both at the national level as well as the international level. Um, the National Commission for UNESCO based in Trinidad and Tobago played a key role. Um, and then I learned later on as I went through the program that this, is, this process is replicated at the same time across the different uh, national commissions uh, in over 180 countries. And then they screen the applications at the national level. Then you do interviews there and then they submit their shortlist of candidates to the headquarters. The human resources department in Paris then go through all of the candidates uh, that have been submitted globally and then they select about 20 finalists from different countries. At the time they brought us to Paris for about a week and we did additional screenings and um, this included foreign language tests, psychometric tests, you know, panel interviews, different types of social interactions and so on. And it was a great experience um, meeting the other young graduates um, for the first time from so many different backgrounds, so many different countries. And um, even though it's highly competitive, uh, we were we formed a, an immediate bond um, between us and exchanged stories and remain up to this day very much connected. So um, whenever my travels take me to Paris, I still meet up with those who are still there and it's wonderful reconnecting with them. That's amazing. So of what had to be hundreds of young people, they boiled that list down to 20 and you were one of the 20. 
They've all down to 20 finalists for another round of interviews at the national level. And then they, they selected 10. <gasps> and so uh, there were 10 of us from different countries, two from the Caribbean. I have a good friend from Grenada. She was also one of the finalists to be hired. And uh, I was the first person from Trinidad and Tobago to be selected in the program. And, um, and also the human resources director mentioned to me because I was recruited at 22, that I was also likely one of the youngest persons to be recruited to the UN, uh, to UNESCO and possibly the UN system. So it was a phenomenal opportunity because it was a professional um, posting and um, and also um, a permanent position. So there was usually for these young professional programs, they, there's a whole program that you are put through to prepare mm -hmm. you for leadership in these um, United Nations organizations over time. And so it was phenomenal. It really was very, very helpful for me to understand how the international system works and to get exposed and to build my network and to, you know, to really understand development uh, in action. And yeah. it was because of that experience, I knew I wanted to go deeper into the financing side. Coming from the Caribbean, it's one thing to, to understand how development projects work and to develop the projects or design them and to see them executed. But I really wanted to get now um, deeper into the understanding how they become financed, how you leverage the financing and, you know, all the you know, all the, the machinery involved in development management. And, and so I had to make another hard decision uh, just about, um, about four or five years into that um, post, whether to stay or to do something more. Mm. Um, and that was not easy because many, you know, many persons study very hard and work, you know, work their whole work really hard towards landing an opportunity like that, a permanent role in an international organization. And many of my, you know, colleagues thought I was absolutely nuts to, to be leaving <laughs> Paris. They're like, what are you doing? Little girl from the Caribbean. But um, I knew I wanted more. I wanted to understand. I needed to figure figure out how the funding gets, you know, how does that work? How does that space work? So I think that curiosity got the better of me. And I decided because of, of the policies at the time, I had to make the decision to, to resign. And, um, and I moved to Washington, D.C. And I decided to go to grad school to do a dual degree as an international student with only enough savings for one year. <laughs> and, and it was a three-year program. So... Yeah, it was, that was a leap of faith. And, um, you know, the rest is history. It <laughs> but, um, you know, you do what you have to do. And it was exciting and it was new. And going back to being in the classroom after having worked and, you know, enjoyed being a professional and having to live on a student budget again, all of those things um, required a bit of tenacity and, and adjustment. But I had my sights on graduating with this dual degree in uh, international finance, an MBA in international finance, and a Master of Science in Development Management. Wow. And because I was an international student, I could not afford to let this three-year be a three-year program. It was it's normally a three-year program, and I said to the advisor, the student advisor, said, "I need to do this in less." And so <laughs> I said. 
is it possible? And she said, yes, you know, they, they she said, you can do more courses. This is the number of courses you can do, you know, in terms of maximum per semester. I said, can I do more courses in the summer? They said, yes. I looking at me as though you're nuts. But, <laughs> but I did, you know, I had to do what I had to do. And I had, you know, my, my mind was, I want to get back into the world of work. And I want, I need to get back into the world of work also because of the finances, you know, with state be, being an international student for three years. Um, and then I had my heart set on getting scholarships. So I said, okay, I can finance the first year. I need to have a scholarship for the second year. So that meant working very hard, making sure my grades were good so that I could be eligible for a scholarship. And I did that. I was able to get an inter a scholarship. Uh, there was only one scholarship for international students. And so I was able to land that for my second year and that helped tremendously to allow me to finish the program in two years and then move on to work with the World Bank, which was another another goal I had set when I decided to move to Washington, D.C. Brilliant. So you are you've landed this job of jobs in Paris. They, you know, just sophisticated, wonderful food, incredible culture. You speak the language. Life is good. And you're like, no. No, no, this is just no. not enough of a challenge. <laughs> so I'm going to go to DC to take a dual degree and an overload of courses and ma maintain my GPA such that I can get a scholarship because I have this, this, this idea, this idea that I need to contribute to the development of the region. And in order to do that, you need to follow the money. That's right. That's crazy. Like if somebody came to me with that story today, I'd say, that's crazy. What are you doing? I think a lot of persons thought it was crazy. <laughs> but, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? And it's sometimes you have to have big, scary, audacious goals yeah. to really give you that push to go to go after them. So it's like that. It's like a feeling in your gut where you're like, I just know this thing. I know that this is where... This is what I need to do and where I need to go. So anybody else who tried to sort of speak sense to you, it's just like, no, I, I know this thing. Yeah, I I think that's what it was. And I, I you know, my parents, bless their heart. I, I, I really know as a parent myself, <laughs> I understand what I must have put them through. <laughs> and thankfully, they never discouraged me. They always listened and said, okay, you know, and ask me, you know, ask me the questions. Do you have it worked out? They trusted me. They trusted my instinct. Oh, I love that. Which is amazing because, you know, as parents, you want to protect and you want to make sure yeah. everything's going to be okay. And thankfully, bless them, they they allowed me that room and that freedom. And I always say to my both my parents that they've been the wind beneath my wings in many ways. Just allow me the space to be and to go after to go after dreams that that I have in my head yeah and for them it must have been such a stretch because you know both of them being you know they've worked in with the government and never imagined in their wildest dreams that their first daughter of two would go off to do these things but but had prepared me for it even though right. they, you know as yeah. parents, you're not sure what, what path your children would take. They tried their best to prepare me and to at least to give me um give me the confidence to know that the sky is the limit, you know? So as Caribbean mm. parents, that's that's what they did. And I that's... really am thankful to them for that. 
and my yeah. father for believing in his girls because my mm -hmm. sister also followed a similar trajectory and she carved out her own niche in in public health management internationally also with um with the UN and, and with PAHO and so yeah for girls two girls I'm you know I'm thankful to him that he never put um any boundaries or limitations he just said do what you go as far as you can go and he always said to us don't worry about the money because we would you know we would yeah. say it's gonna cost this you know we're not sure it's gonna be too much he said don't worry about the money go after it leave the money leave the money issues to the parents to figure it to help you figure it out wow you know um in michelle obama's book becoming as well as in the light we carry she talks a lot about the trust that she had from her parents that they trusted her that her mother talks about that even to this day that you know you've got to you've got to give children the latitude to figure things out she was walking herself to school at age 5 wow. and she said you know she she would you know, was nervously, you know, walking herself to school. And then she'd see her mother nervously watching for when she came back home. But it yeah. was this, this instinct that her mother had about the ability to trust your children and to know that they ultimately know what's best of them, but best for them to also help them to be good decision makers. If you let them make decisions, you let them have their failures as well as their successes, and then let them decide how they how they move and and bless your parents and yeah. you know the best the are, that we can do is is try to be amazing. like them yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i read both of both of uh, michelle obama's books and there were so many stories or um you know some of her own experiences that i was able to connect with because yeah. they were very similar in terms of how our parents you know as you said parents uh your parents approached education and to, yeah. to giving you support as a as a young person growing up and to not imposing their own dreams or their own wishes on you. I think that's very important and giving you that sense of self and that stability to, to pursue your path. You know, yeah. I always believe that excellent parents or teachers at home, because that's what parents are, excellent mm -hmm. teachers at home do not, they don't really teach you as much as they create the environment for you to, to learn, to grow and to thrive. And that's that's so important because no one can really trying to put the information in your head is never that's not going to work. So both in the classroom and at, and at home, what we really need to focus on is creating that, you know, that condition, the, the you know, the space, the safe space, the sense of stability and also to ignite the curiosity and allow you to flourish. Yeah. And I love that that thought that they were preparing you for a path that they hadn't traversed. Mm -hmm. So the nervousness that might have come along with that in that, yes. you know, she has this vision for her life and we may or may not see it, but we trust her and we will just prepare a path for her in this in this wilderness that we've never been through. Absolutely. That's absolutely beautiful. And I'm so glad that you are a grateful child for, for the parenting that you received. Absolutely. We have a, a, a strong bond and that's something, you know, that will never change. And that's something I'm trying to do for my own children. Yeah. So that it anchors them no matter what comes their way later on in life. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So World Bank is a pretty, uh, pretty hefty job to land at, at a 20 something year old. 
Yes, it, it was fantastic. For me, it was one of the things, like I said, I, I had on my list. I wanted to do that. Moving to Washington and doing the dual degree was all about getting that exposure and under, starting starting to understand the development finance world. And, um, and so that was going very well. Uh, I was initially an intern and then uh, worked as a consultant. And during that time, learned of um, a job at the IDB headquarters uh, as the chief technical advisor for uh, a multi-donor trust fund that was had just been set up. And so seemed interesting, thought, okay, put my hat, hat in the ring and, and that worked out. And so I was able to, to move over and to really um, start understanding, understanding now how to manage a trust fund with you know the fun the finances coming from different sources the negotiations that would be required um to talk about the replenishment how to show development impact how to look at uh how to prepare the technical committee to review the proposals uh what are some of the criteria that they would be looking for how to promote the the fund across the bank across the the different um, country offices and to solicit proposals so it was a fantastic um you know experience and i was loving it and then my husband well my fiance at the time we were in different countries and um and so i had to make a decision i did the first year of marriage long distance we were you know apart and we decided okay at this point one of us is going to move um, my husband at the time, when we were considering who moves, he his mom had just lost her husband, his stepfather, and it was a difficult time for the family. And so I explored the option of um, working in the Jamaica office for the IDB as a consultant. And so it worked out and I, I made that step. So that took me to Jamaica. I was based there for a few years until my husband got um, headhunted to work in Trinidad and then we decided to move to Trinidad. So that helped to, you know, give me different experiences from the development standpoint at the country level, having worked at headquarters. And um, and while I was in Trinidad, I, I did a lot of consulting with the IDB office in Suriname. So that also was a fantastic experience, understanding how projects work there and allowing and being with my husband while he started his new sort of chapter professionally um, based in Trinidad. And, um, and then children came and I decided to step out of international development for a few years because I wanted to be um, more present. I didn't want to travel as much with babies and, um, and that opened my opened the door to working at the University of the West Indies when there was an opportunity there after my first year of motherhood. And, and that also was a, a really exciting chapter that I hadn't imagined, but that made sense because I've always believed that education is at the heart of development. I mean, I've lived that story um, yeah. at the individual level. So it was an honor for me to be able to work with the alma mater that helped to create to groom me into the professional I had become and so I started working at the St. Augustine campus in the office of the campus principal as the uh, senior program manager and um, leading the strategic initiatives and you know being um, the senior uh, staff member working alongside the president of this campus so the principal 
um, at the time that was Professor Clement Sankat and I loved what I was doing. It helped me to chart a different um, pathway in higher education management, bringing um, a development perspective to the work of the university and helping to guide the leadership on how to forge partnerships, international partnerships with different multilaterals. Um, so loved what I was doing and uh, stayed with the university for close to 12 years, except wow. for a two-year uh, secondment to UNDP. Um, I stayed and, and went from that position at the campus level into a regional director position, regional university director for global partnerships. And then after that, um, becoming the pro-vice chancellor for global affairs, which was just until about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Absolutely tremendous. And so now here you are with CAF and CAF is widely known as one of the most, you know, um, fast moving, really um, change creating development institutions in the region. So what are you most excited about in this role? Wow, this role is totally transformational in many respects. And, and so I'm enjoying that aspect of the journey um, being you know, really helping CAF and helping the Caribbean to write a new, a new chapter in the history of development finance in the Caribbean. So CAF has had a long-standing relationship with with Caribbean countries, um, primarily Trinidad and Tobago, Jamaica, and uh, Barbados, um, but it has a, a much larger presence across Latin America. And part of the mission that we're on having established the um, regional office for the Caribbean is to um, channel development financing more broadly across the Caribbean, to deepen partnerships with the governments here, um, to serve as a bridge between Latin America and the Caribbean, and to forge um, greater intercultural understanding, exchanges, knowledge, bring you know that element of knowledge sharing and thought leadership but do so between um, the continent and the islands and to deepen that understanding of uh, what ways, the ways in which we're similar in terms of some of the global challenges we face, but really deepening the understanding of some of the nuances that are um, peculiar to the islands and that need to be well understood in terms of how we design projects and how we also design financial instruments to be able to, to respond to the needs of um, Caribbean states. Wonderful. So you mentioned that some advice that you got from your parents was always do your best. Is that the best advice you've been given? Um, when I was growing up, um, so certainly during my teenage years and high school years, my mom had a quote on the fridge of our house. And the quote was, the key to success is not talent, it's hard work. Mm. And that quote is there to this day. So that has been something that no matter what you're going through, where you are in your life, what's happening, it's it has become very much sort of a family ethos, both mm -hmm. for my sister and myself and our families. 
Um, and so it means don't take your talent for granted. Um, certainly, you know, go out there and explore and develop your different interests, but understand that in order to succeed in whatever area you do, it's going to require work. It's going to require discipline. It's going to require effort. It's going to require smart choices. It's going to require consultation because you don't have all the answers. It's going to require being humble enough to take guidance, but also brave enough to know when you have to step out on your own and make a tough decision. So I think those words have guided me uh, tremendously over the years. I love it. I think, you know, we could not have ended on a better note. I think that that is the key. And so many of us are blessed with incredible talent take that can take that for granted and think, well, talent will carry me. The hard work will take you where the talent never could. And so the people that you find who are successful are like you. They are curious. They are well-read. They are open-minded and they work really, really hard. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Stacey, it's been it's been spectacular, spectacular. Thank you and, for the opportunity. And thank you for staying with us. I know that this would have inspired you. All of the chances that she took, her trusting her gut, knowing what she wanted, being willing to to take the harder road, you know, having landed this amazing job and then deciding there is more. I'm going to move to Washington and as we say in Trinidad and scrunt while <laughs> I figure this thing out because there was this burning desire. And I think I, I felt passion and, and willingness and drive and hard work. And I loved every minute of it. And I hope that you did too. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you're not already subscribed, please do. And join us for the next episode of Getting to the Top where I interview truly transformational leaders like Dr. Stacey Richards-Kennedy. Thank you and bye. Thank you. bye.